Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So I had two thrillers this week in Conference USA. I had an overtime game at Western Kentucky in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is actually the third largest city in Kentucky after Louisville and Lexington. And this kid, Javon Jackson for UTSA, uh, University of Texas, San Antonio, dropped a career-high 46. It was one of the highest-scoring games, top-five-scoring game in Conference USA history. And then I went from there to Marshall, which one frequently does. And it's not as bad as the Hattiesburg to Boise trip, but Bowling Green to Huntington, West Virginia, and... I had, a, I had a game that UTSA turned the ball over three times in the last minute, up by four, and then John Elmore from Marshall, who he's going to make a lot of money overseas for a long time, had a four-point play to tie the game with four seconds left, then another turnover, and then Marshall misses the buzzer, and Marshall ended up losing in overtime. But Dan D'Antoni is the head coach at Marshall, Adam, and mm-hmm. he's 71 years old, and at practice the day before the game, it's kind of like Hoosiers. Now, he's a legend at Marshall, <laughs> over 1,000 points. And, and of course, Mike is as well. And, and Dan is there before practice starts sitting in the stands with like with his buddies. It's just like it's just like Hoosiers. The gym is you know kind of similar to Hoosiers, um, but it's the 71 year old coach and they're playing classic rock and country music. There's no rap going on <laughs> with Dan D'Antoni. It, it is it's quite a scene. Well, I saw your Instagram post on the incredible shot by John Elmore getting fouled to tie the game at the buzzer. Unbelievable on that three-point decent, shot. One decent of the, call? Decent call? I thought the call was outstanding. In fact, that's what made it. I thought nice. the shot was okay. Four-point play to tie it, sure. I, nice. the, the, the foul was somewhat foolish to me. But yeah, um, yeah, I'd say. I, it, it's dawned on me now, Noah, that you're like the, the barnstorming tour of, of announcers, man. Uh, All yeah, the that's, you go. that's what it seems like. Like Conference USA almost seems like barnstorming. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I, like I didn't it. have. I didn't have the the week that you had. In fact, uh, my weekend was highlighted by watching halftime of the Super Bowl, which many have commented on. And uh, as soon as that finished up, my two year old son threw up all over my wife. No, and, uh, yeah. And as they both as they both were getting undressed in the middle of the living room, and I was holding back laughter. Um, as they were sopping wet. I mean, to, oh, to really disgust no. the people at home as, as this was happening, all I was thinking about was, I wonder if Adam Levine's shirtless act did this to them. <laughs> Wait, no, no warning. No warning. None, none. It's, it's only gotten worse from there, but I'm not gonna, I'll spare the audience the details for, for once. <laughs> The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. It's Catch and Shoot. 
with Adam Stanko and me, Noah Kozlov. It drops every Wednesday. It's actually a pet peeve of mine when people say, if they said Adam Stanko and myself. Like, just because Adam Stanko and me doesn't sound grammatically correct, and it actually is, just say it. And the more you say it, it'll become more commonplace. Anyway, we'll bring you great guests like front office expert Bobby Marks of ESPN. He'll be with us shortly. And we'll also share our thoughts on hoops and hoop life. Our overall crew, it's called Pure Hoops Media, and Catch and Shoot is one of three Pure Hoops shows. We've got the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. BJ played with Michael Jordan. He played for Phil Jackson and then also next to Scotty Pippen on the first three Bulls championship teams. And BJ is also a high-profile player agent. He's got some of the biggest names in the game, like Draymond Green and Derrick Rose. So BJ and Eric drops every Friday. And then on Monday, we present the Wise-Ass Show with Mike Wise. And his guests have included Jamal Crawford, Garrett Temple, it's a, I got to say, Frank, I, no, I'm not saying Frank Isol. Uh, that, that he does not belong in the same sentence with Jamal Crawford <laughs> and former Suns GM Ryan McDonough. And you know what? And don't edit that out either. And all of our shows are free, which is great because, I, I mean, my mom would pay to listen to us, but, uh, but you don't have to. Just download us, subscribe, listen, rate us. Muchas gracias. We're joined now by Bobby Marks of ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at BobbyMarks42. Spent years in the Nets front office, was the assistant GM for a number of years in New Jersey and Brooklyn. Bobby, give me the handshake deal, since we all know that they happen around the league. The handshake deal that actually went the other way during your time in, with the Nets. Uh, what do you mean? You have to expand on that. As the far as what the handshake deal, the, the deal that was done through whether it was tampering or a deal that you thought you had done before <laughs> a deal, before, before the deadline or before it was allowed to be consummated, um, that, that actually didn't go down. You know, there, yeah, there was, there's probably two deals that stick out. Um, there was a deal that, um, we thought we had, and, and I think both revolve around, poor Brooke Lopez that uh, we thought we had a deal with Oklahoma city um, that would have brought us, I think Reggie Jackson, uh, maybe a future pick um, Lopez would have went to Oklahoma city. And um, I, I, I tease uh, people. I said, we're still waiting for Sam to call us back to, <laughs> to get the deal done. We found out that, that Reggie was getting traded to uh, Detroit and we were kind of like, I guess we're out of it. <laughs> so that was one of them. And then the other one was, um, we had a the parameters of a deal for uh, Lopez to go to Charlotte that would have brought us a combination of uh, Lance Stevenson, Marvin Williams, um, you know that type of uh, package. Um, you know, we were um, that was in, in 2000, um, 2013, I believe 13, 14, um, and we had gone off to a really you know slow start, and um, there was a, the parameters of um, you know that type of deal there, and um, I thought going, we went, we left the office. I thought we were going to be able to get something done. And then I remember like waking up in the middle of the night and um, checked my phone. And it was a, it was a text from Billy King who was our general manager basically saying, I, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't huh. do it. And he had, uh, you know, he, he basically, I think we woke up at the same time and, um, and we kind of walked away from, um, we walked away from that, that deal right there. But um, huh. so yeah, I think there's, there's things like that. I think, although you sometimes get a framework of a deal done, a fr- framework of an agreement there, 
there's always that second guessing. There's always the, um, you know, where you bring it to your ownership group to, to uh, get a stamp of approval with our group there in Russia. So there was a time difference there, right. but, um, but those are, you know, the two that stood out. I mean, there, but it's funny, like, you know, trades happen all different ways. I mean, in, in 13, 14, we needed a shooter and, um, you know, I called Pete D'Alessandro, who was a general manager in Sacramento, and uh, and really I was just calling us check on how his kids were doing, and we were <laughs> both eating dinner at the same time, and I just I asked him, I said, hey, would you have any interest in, in moving Marcus Thornton? And he said, yeah, I think so. What are you looking to do? And, you know, it was Reggie Evans and Jason Terry, and it was like, okay, I think so. We'll <laughs> talk tomorrow, and that was it. And it was like, what? It was like wow, that's pretty easy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> where we met, Where we spent, like, Four months on Carmelo from 10, 2010 to right. 2011, um, you know, busting our butt for that. And that, and then, you know, we were able to get Marcus Thornton probably within, you know, 24 hours. <laughs> so, Bobby, we'll, we'll get into, obviously, some of the big names right now swirling around in, in free agency and all the movement that's going on and, and what it all means. But in terms of you actually being there in the trenches, I'm so curious – you know, you take like the Knicks case right now and this belief that they're going to sign the, the two Max guys over the summer. What does it actually look like in terms of the relationship between front office execs and agents? And when are those conversations taking place? What does that that whole process look like, that wink, wink, nudge, nudge process? I think they're taking place now. <laughs> they really are. I mean, I know. It's, uh, I guess it's considered tampering, but there's nothing to forbid um, a general manager who um, calls an agent who that, that agent also has maybe some players on your own team. And, the, you know, the conversation starts about your own guys. And then it's kind of, hey, you know, what do you think, you know, Kyrie's thinking of this summer to do? And I think that kind of lays the groundwork. But, yeah, I mean, this business is all about relationships. Um, you know, I don't think that New York did a deal with Porzingis just because they think KD and Kyrie are coming. I think a lot of it had to do with the, the marriage of Porzingis um, dissolving and um, kind of having to make a decision before the, before the trade deadline. Um, so I think a lot of it is just kind of about, about relationship building. All right, so I want to follow up on KP. How much of what didn't work with KP has to do with his brother and then not having a, a true agent in, in Andy Miller. Yeah. I, it's an interesting, you know, you know, with Andy not being in the business anymore and, and uh, his brother Giannis kind of overseeing it's, this is kind of a little bit of uncharted territory here where, um, you know, you have a player and a franchise level player who is not happy there. So I think there's a lot of different ways that you can go about it. You can try to mend fences here, but it, it seemed like um, both sides weren't, or at least from, you know, Kristaps' side, wasn't willing to go down that, that direction there. And, you know, we, we talk about the trade a lot, and, you know, we've, we've never really kind of talked about, like, where did it go wrong? Like, where did, where did this, you know, where did this dissolve? Was it the exit meeting from a couple years ago? Was it mm-hmm. – um, having multiple head coaches there, different owners or a different management group there. And it just felt like there was really no turning back here. And that's kind of where we saw, you know, New York basically got to make a decision with, with uh, Chris stops, either you keep him past the deadline and have to pay him or move him. And they, uh, they chose to move him. You, you ever been in a situation where 
I mean, man, I've heard a lot of things about about KP's brother and 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 the situation and how much influence he has, um, and that that may have you know been the ultimate influence in in how KP approached the Knicks organization. You ever been in a situation where where a family member has taken over like that? No, I mean, I think the the closest was maybe um, when we were trying to get Dwight um, in 2011-12. Um, you know where. Um, you know, he basically had to, um, you know, opt into his or opt out of his contract to become a free agent for us to, um, you know, to make a deal and everything like that. And, and just dealing with Orlando during that time, I know there was a lot of influences in, in Dwight's life there. Um, as far as our own, our own players, no, I mean, you know, Jason Kidd had asked to be traded in, in uh, 2007, but that was really, you know, I mean, he had Jeff Schwartz at, at the time, so it kind of came from the agent. You know, Darren, same thing there, but never really, never really, um, you know, dealing with a, you know, a, a parent or uh, or a family member. So, Bobby, as as far as the Porzingis situation goes, uh, you just mentioned it. You you don't think it's necessarily a case of a guarantee that they've got that they've got you know, that as I call it, you know, the two in the bush as opposed to one in the hand. I'm so confused about the thing because this, the whole situation, because I would imagine the hardest thing to do in the NBA for executives is to, is to get a superstar player. And when you have one in hand to give, to give that guy up for the hopes of getting two down the road, I would imagine there has to be some type of assurances. If you were to, if you were to wage a guess on it, who is the player that you feel like the Knicks uh, feel feel really strongly that they're going to have this this summer. I, I would think it would probably be Durant, and I think it's just based on where the, he is at this point of his life. Especially if they win a uh, another championship, so that would be three years in a row there. Um, you know, to go to New York to go to a big market, you you would be leaving a lot behind with that Golden State team to go to a Nick team that's got. You know, an influx of young players. We'll see what happens with the the number one, uh, the number one. You know, when we get into the lottery with the number one pick here, um, can you get a second guy? But I think if you're asking me to line up the free agent class, which is really rich, that it would be uh, that it would be Durant. I, I don't know about you know for Kyrie. Um, I still think what he has in Boston is really appealing. You know, to be able to play with Tatum, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Horford, Hayward, that uh, Terry Rozier possibly that group there. And especially if they don't win at all, I think there's some, you know, some unfinished business there. And Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis too. That's another, <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that is the, uh, the, the name that we are waiting to see what happens leading up until uh, the Thursday trade deadline. Yeah. So let me ask you about that. If, if Dell Demps is, if, if the organization has made a decision, and I'm saying if you're, that he's out at the end of the year, why would, the, the, how, why would ownership approve a trade of Anthony Davis before they have a new GM? You're right. It's a good question. And this is probably the most, this is the most important decision that this franchise will make um, for a long time here. And I think it has to be a, blow me out of the water, you know, for, as it, we, we, it was reported yesterday, four first-round picks besides these, you know, four unprotected first-round picks and, and these young players to trump what maybe Boston can kind of put together here. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see that, you know, the two first-round picks and the young players getting it done. It's already basically been turned down here. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if your ownership and it's a, it's a unique ownership group because it's, you know, the, the saints really oversee a lot, a lot of things. And Mickey Loomis, who's the general manager of the saints basically has uh, overseas uh, basketball operations there. So there is a pecking order as far as how this is going to play out. But I've been pretty adamant that I don't think a deal will get done by, by Thursday. And then Davis will be in a uniform and then we'll, you know, we'll have to figure out what happens to him in, uh, in this summer. But yeah, if you're, if you have any trepidation that Dell Demps is not going to be your general manager next year, then you kind of have to hold back and, and, and go into the, into the summer with, um, you know, Davis in hand for that, for that new regime to take over. Bobby, how appealing is it for other playoff teams right now, even if they aren't on that, supposed short list that Anthony Davis has of of destinations even if they aren't on there so teams like Portland or Denver the idea that you could get an Anthony Davis and have him for two playoff runs conceivably even if you were to lose him after next summer uh how appealing is that and how many offers do you think are are really flooding in that are really serious offers to New Orleans right now Oh, I think they've I think they've gotten calls from basically every team. You know, certainly there's teams like Atlanta and, and teams in the in the lottery that you know you don't have or you're not going to ante up for a, for a rental when you're a lottery team. But I think there's there is curiosity there for for each team. And if you are Portland or Denver or some of these other teams, and you can put the right package together to get a Davis now, I mean, even if you have to flip him down the road next season, possibly. I think it's something to explore. I think Toronto is a good case, uh, even with the uncertainty of Kawhi this summer, where if you can put a package together of Pascal Siakam and DeLon Wright and maybe some draft picks down the road, that's something to, you know, they're in a win-now mode to, to look at. And uh, even if Leonard leaves, then, yes, you can certainly move move uh, move Davis again. Right, exactly. That, and that's, that's something I, that I haven't heard bandied about much. And that's the well. You, yeah, you you can then trade Anthony Davis again. You go for it and then trade him again. Um, how how realistic of a possibility do you think that is? I, I I just I have not seen them. You know, we saw the list of teams that came out um, on um, on Tuesday here or on Monday, and you know, it's I don't see a realistic opportunity for Milwaukee based on the expiring contract there. And I, they're, they're good players. It just doesn't kind of fit the criteria that, that, um, that new Orleans is looking for the same with probably the Clippers. I know they're very hesitant to put Shea Gilgis Alexander in any type of deal because they, because of where his future is. And Tobias Harris is a good player, but he's on an expiring also. And, mm-hmm. and then it's, it's the Knicks, you know, it's basically, we don't know where that pick is going to be until, you know, until May 14th. So, that's three teams there. There, you know, I, I, there's been teams certainly looking to see what makes sense, but there hasn't been that wild card team that we saw this last summer when San, uh, when um, Toronto all of a sudden kind of came into play in uh, in early July with uh, with Kawhi. What's Rich Paul like to deal with? You know what? I had, I haven't had any interact. I mean, really, just from a media standpoint, he when I was in Brooklyn in my last year was 2015. Um, you know, his, uh, you know, he had just kind of been starting out in the, um, you know, as far as building up his catalog of, of players here, but hey, he is a tough, hard-nosed guy, you know, just looking at what he's been able to do with some, you know, it's very rare that you hold out 
when when you have a rookie who is you know eligible to sign a rookie um, contract, which basically is cut and dry as far as that. And I think we saw that a couple of years ago with with uh, Trey Lyles in Utah. He basically held him out during the first portion of um, of summer league here. And yeah, I think it's you know he is he, you know he's getting paid to look out for the best interest of his uh, clients. You know, certainly it does rub some people the other way as far as what type of influence he has. And are you in the camp that believes that the NBA has done all its due diligence and, and LeBron has his hands clean in that operation? It's hard to say. I mean, I do think, though, if, if, there, if, if um, Davis is moved by the deadline on Thursday, that I think it sends a terrible message to this league. I, I really do, and I think it says that what's not to say it's going to be Giannis next year or Damian Lillard next year or another superstar who looks at what Rich Paul was able to do and you know, basically force a trade in late January for a player that still had a year and a half left on their contract um, because of an, a team that's been decimated with injuries. And I get he's been there six or seven years and they've only went to two playoffs. I, that's the right of the player. But what's not to say that they're going to want to say, you know what, I don't think Milwaukee's right for me or Portland's right for me or, 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 or one of these, or maybe Jokic three or four years from now is, is right for me. And you start forcing yourself out of here. And I think it, I think if, if, if New Orleans caves into it and they've put, they've put up a pretty good front so far, I just think it sends a, you know, I just think it just sends a terrible message to this league. Okay. So let's say that's the case, Bobby, then, we know that LeBron and, and Rich Paul have all this influence now. What what does the league do? I don't know how what you can do. I mean, you know, the the tampering aspect of it. Yes, the league takes it serious. Especially, I mean, the league works for all thirty teams, so it's just not the Lakers or the Pelicans here. So, if there's any type of tampering or collusion, they'll investigate it. But there hasn't been there hasn't been a paper trail for that. And I know that they've looked into the New Orleans situation. I don't know if there's been a resolution to it um, yet, but I don't know what you can do right now. So it, this is, I'm, I started to think about the whole critical mass thing, Bobby, that, you know, you, you get to a point where, all right, the league, the league needs to step in because I, mean, I, I used to work at the league and, and I know that, all right, headlines are one thing. Drama is one thing. It, it you know, it does drive a lot of fan interest, but it gets to the point where enough is enough and, and it becomes too much. And correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, that I think critical mass would be reached and the league would have to step in if Anthony Davis isn't traded before the deadline, but then is not playing for the Pelicans <laughs> after the deadline. That's a great point. And I, and I would be in the, in the camp of he should not be playing uh, because if he's not moved – Here's a guy who, who asked to be traded. The Pelicans were not satisfied with any trade offers that came their way. And now he's not going to sign a Supermax contract in the summer for you know $240 million. So what are you expected to do? Put him out there so you can risk injury and you're on your best trade asset here? And it will be interesting. You know, It looks like he's been cleared to play. Um, what, what stance the NBA takes now? You know, how, Do they force him to play? Especially that... He's like he's going to play in the All Star game next uh, next weekend here, so that might be the only time we, we we see him there. But I think it's a big risk, especially a guy who's been nicked up during his career to to, to put him out there. Where God forsake if it's an Achilles or a knee, now you're stuck with a player for you know a year, and you're going to be the the value of him is going to be really low. 
Well, that's the question that I had for you. How much does his ultimate value change based upon what he could go for right now, knowing that you get this playoff, the rest of this season, plus the playoffs and next season compared to signing him or, you know, getting him in, in, in the off season. I, I still have, I, th- I still think there's value in signing a player in the off season. I think it's, there's less value when you're signing an expiring in, you know, December or January, because you really don't have much. To, it's more of a rental, but I think if you get a guy in um, in you know June or July, then you basically have nine or ten months to sell him. Especially if you're a pretty good uh, a pretty good team here. So yeah, I think if you know it's just a matter of there's not many teams. I mean, we're what do we've got about thirty thirty five games left here, so we're not really at the midway point where there are teams like Milwaukee that are not going to tear up their team right now for a you know an Anthony Davis. Um, and as I said, New Orleans, I don't know, would have interest in those players there. So I think that's that's the debate you have is that, you know, don't kind of rock the boat what you have right now and, and, and go out and get him for a playoff run. But it could change. If it depends on what you have to give up. You think uh, Ernie Grunfeld's dinner is being interrupted by phone calls tonight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think Ernie Grunfeld's phone is ringing. I think you are looking at Trevor Reza. You're looking at Marcus, uh, Marquise Morris. You're looking at... Uh, players, uh, players like that that are certainly. Uh, I think there's a for sale sign down in. Uh, uh, you know, probably not Brad. I don't think Bradley Beal because I think he has a lot of value there, and then you hold on to him to, into the summer. But yeah, I would say that there Otto are Porter. calls in uh, Otto Porter, a wing. You know, if you can, uh, if if they're looking just to dump him and you can get him for you know three more years. I think Washington. I think there's a you know certainly a for sale sign in Memphis. So that's kind of the team that we're. Um, we're watching not just Conley and Gasol, but you know, mm-hmm. to Michael Green, Garrett Temple, Justin Holiday, guys like guys like that. And uh, so, yeah, I would think things start start to pick up pretty soon here. You miss being you miss being involved in in the trenches during the trade deadline time. I love this time of year. I don't miss the games. <laughs> I, don't miss, <laughs> I don't miss getting my car in Brooklyn and you've lost three or four in a row, yeah. and you're trying to figure out when your next win is going to be. I don't. I don't miss that or coming in the next morning and it's like doom and gloom, but yeah, I miss, I miss the transaction period, the trade deadline, the, uh, the draft, the free agency aspect of it. But when it comes to, um, when it comes to the games, I don't, um, I don't miss it at all. And it's funny, you know, when we, when we made that ill fated um, deal and uh, with the ball, you know, the Boston trade in 2013 is that, you know, you, I always call the off season, the honeymoon period. Because everything is great. You know, you hear coaches being quoted. You hear coaches, the right. players that, you know, hey, we're going to win a championship or we're going to make the playoffs. And and then you get to the, get to, uh, to training camp and it's like, whoa, what just happened? And I remember, you know, we make that, that deal. And then, you know, we signed Karolinko and Andre Blotch and Sean Livingston and Alan Anderson. And, you know, we're thinking, God, we're going to go to the finals here possibly. And um, we go down to Duke and practice, and uh, we had training camp down there. And I remember we scrimmaged, and we had some guys hurt. Darren hadn't practiced, and our second unit kicked our first unit's rear end, like destroyed them. And I remember driving uh, back to uh, to the hotel and calling my wife and saying, we're all going to get fired here. <laughs> Basically like, what did we just do? We're all going to get fired because of what, the, how, and, it, and it's funny, like how the, the first unit had aged like five years in like four or five months. since you know, those guys played in the playoffs against, against New York. And yeah. so I don't miss that part of it. Um, but I do miss the, uh, the, the transaction part. 
Bobby, what's what's something about this this period that fans don't realize that that you experience when you're in a, a front office and going through it near the deadline? You know, it's almost like you know when you when you put it like a you know the house of cards when you're building a stack of deck there. It's like kind of like if you pull one out, you know, will it all collapse on you, or can you tinker with your roster there that can make some subtle changes that doesn't impact the rest of the season? I think. That's kind of why you haven't seen Golden State make a trade during this this era of you know since uh, they started this run. You haven't seen San Antonio make a trade. I don't think since like 2013 or 2014. So I think you have to be careful as far as how you tinker with um, you know t- t- tinker with, uh, with with your roster there. I think that's probably the most important thing that people don't realize. I think it's fun for us to talk about the different the different trades, but. You know, I mean, I'm watching Indiana Lakers tonight, and they've got a, you know, a, 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 I don't know if you guys seen it, the, the Brandon Ingram chant going on in Indiana, basically uh-huh. saying LeBron wants to trade you. So I think there's a, people forget there's a human element of this, that guys are not robots. Yes, they make a lot of money here, but, you know, there is a certain, you know, human, um, the human element to, to this. Yeah, and that's something Adam and I are actually going to get into shortly about LeBron stepping into his locker room and being surrounded by guys who know that he doesn't want there and how that makes those guys feel when LeBron's always the one saying, my guys, my guys, my guys, which drives me up a wall. But that's, that's a conversation for that we'll have without you on Bobby. When, when was, well, uh, it's, it's funny though, real quick. I mean, like, yeah, sure. you know, it, 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 if LeBron didn't get hurt in Golden State on Christmas and this team is 31 and 20 and they're in the fourth seat, are we even having a conversation about Anthony Davis right now? No, no not right so now. So it's, it, yeah. I mean, so that's, it's amazing though because he gets hurt, he's out. You know, whatever it is, six weeks. They're they're you know not very good. They're basically the team from last year without Lopez and Randall. But but now all of a sudden we've got to make an overhaul to the roster. So I mean, it's like kind of like let's take a step back a little bit here because you know where is this team when LeBron is you know healthy? Yeah, they're getting their doors blown off against Indiana um, and everything. But it's it, it is funny though that because of the injury that it's basically accelerated. They went from a four to like a nine as far as the accelerated process, as far as building this team. Right. So Bobby, is that, wait, uh, with that, with that, and that makes me think, sorry, and that makes me think that LeBron isn't totally healthy and won't be able to be out there given all the minutes that he has in the past. Well, you're right. And if, and if there, if there forever was a deal that, that, that happened by Thursday and you're losing six players and you're bringing in Davis and Solomon Hill and three or four minimums, you know, what, what is left with that roster? You know, especially if you're going to manage LeBron's minutes down the stretch here and, and what's the roster look like in next, you know, in the summer where, you know, you don't have a, you know, you don't have the young core, you don't have a max slot. You're basically kind of, you know, kind of patching in the holes here. So Bobby, do you think that the Lakers original plan was let's have as much flexibility, play a slow role through this season and have as much flexibility as possible this off season with the young guys and with these expiring deals. And then with LeBron's injury, then it, it, it sped up their timeline and the panic set in. You'd think this was management that changed their mind and how magic and, and uh, Rob wanted to approach this. Yeah. I mean, I think you saw it last summer, how they basically went out and signed players where, you know, it was, I call it kind of like the, the guinea pig experiment. You know, let's see, we'll sign these one-year kind of placeholder expiring contracts, and it will give us a good idea as far as how we're going to play and how do players fit in here. 
And I think the, you know, the LeBron injury, Davis becoming available, them kind of, as I said before, kind of accelerating where they are. I mean, the intent was you're going to kind of, we knew where this team was going to be. It was probably a five to eight seed. Um, you get into the playoffs, you see where you are, and then you kind of go into the summer of 2019 with, you know, $35, $40 million in room to kind of get that next guy there. And it's not, and it, that next guy is going to probably cost you most of your roster. Bobby, when was the last time you got offered a GM job? You know, it's a funny story. I don't even know if anybody knows this, but I, um, you know, when I started with Yahoo in, in December of 2000, um, 2015, um, I had gotten a call from Sacramento um, about two months later. And we were, you know, we moved down to Florida in, uh, in, uh, in February. We, were, we built a house in Florida and, and moved there in, in April of, of 2016. But I had gotten a call from Sacramento when George Carl was still there and they were kind of going through the transitions, building that front office and um, about a role in their front office, not a, not a GM role, but to get back in the league. And when you're, when you're at a league for, you know, three or four months, you want to get back in right away. You don't think there's anything kind of out, out there for you. So I went out there and um, basically thought I had the job and it was going to have to make a decision as far as if we're going to move out to Sacramento. And basically the job was almost, you know, basically offered to me, and I got on a plane to kind of, you know, think about it and figure out what we're going to do. And I never heard from Sacramento. What? <laughs> never heard from them again. Uh, and so it was kind of one of those weird situations where if it was made, if the offer was made to me, I, I think we would, me and my wife, I had to think about it. But the offer was never made. We never had to think about it. And kind of life moves on. So wait, did you call them back and say, hey, guys, I never heard from you? I didn't even bother because it wasn't something that was kind of like a high priority on my list. I think if it was something that I really wanted, um, you know, I would have probably pursued it, but I think it was just kind of good to get in front of a team after not being in, in the league for five or six months. And uh, they want to hire, uh, they want to hire um, Ken Cantonello, I think four months later, and then Brandon Williams is there and they've done a good job. So right. I give that front, I give that front office a lot of credit as far as how they've been able to, to build uh, build out, out that roster. Have you had interviews since, or is that something that only Woj is allowed to break? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if Woj broke that. I think Sam Amick broke it. That I was out in the uh, that I was out interviewing uh, in, in oh, yeah. Sacramento. And if, if it was so. Kings related, Sam definitely had it. <laughs> yeah, but um, but you know, it's funny. Like I understand why guys like John Gruden and Jeff Van Gundy. I think the more you're away from the team side of it, the less likely it makes you inclined to go back because a, I sleep a lot better. I've got no, I root for nobody. I hope <laughs> everyone stays healthy. Um, and so I think, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a commitment, especially when you have children to kind of uproot them there. But I would say never say never. If something else came about that, I would certainly listen. It's, there's no harm in, in, in doing that, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm in a good spot right now in, in the media side. You sort of touched on something I think is interesting. I remember when you first jumped onto Twitter and then you were sort of growing this audience and people were like fascinated by with this insider knowledge that that you brought to the table. I think you just brought a different perspective than a, the basketball community from a fan perspective was kind of used to. What what things have you have you learned as you as you talk about as you're seeing it from a different perspective that you weren't seeing for the the last few years while you were employed by by teams? 
You know, it's funny. When you work for a team, you have blinders on. So it, it doesn't give you a good perspective on the league. You were so focused on your roster. I think you're very sensitive as far as what the media is saying um, out there about what you have. Um, you're, you know, you go to, you know, basically 82 games either on the road or at home. So I don't think you have a good scope of what the league is. And I think when you, on the media side, is that our job is to cover all 30 teams and kind of, you know, for me at least, to kind of be a de facto GM and, and look at what they're doing, the decisions they're making, the raw, how they're building out their roster, um, talking to teams. You know, I'm not a newsbreaker, so I don't need to kind of break trades or um, free agent signings there, but just kind of get a different perspective on why teams do deals and and uh, and, and go from go from there. And I think it, it just kind of shines a different light on things. Yeah, I'm convinced that that you're able to say about maybe five percent of what you actually hear. <laughs> I bet, I, I bet, I, I bet, I bet you could start a start a side business as front office therapist, and you just you just call and you say talk to me, and then front office whatever you're talking to, they just they just vent, and then you listen. I'm I'm telling you, I think I think it's legit business. Last one uh, for you, Bobby. Since the podcast is called Catch and Shoot. Give me the the one guy all time that you want with the ball in his hands on a catch and shoot situation to win you a game. Ooh, I mean, in a playoff game, I would take Jason Kidd because I know he shot thirty eight percent from the wow. field, and you know, in his. But there were times when he made so many big shots in that stretch of you know, especially oh one oh two and oh two oh three. I mean, that Indiana series, the Boston series, you know, the, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, where if I put his, the ball in his hand in a big moment there, he, he might be shooting seven for 22 at that time. But I know that he, there's a chance either he's going to, you know, he was such a big point guard that he's going to take it to the rim or he's going to, you know, get a good shot off. So I would say, um, you know, for me, you know, personally, it would probably be, it would be probably be Jason Kidd. I'm I mean, sensing bias right here. No, I mean, I'm not surprised. I have a lot of bias. <laughs> I love it, though. I love that yeah, answer. He, he, he didn't say Rick Mahorn, and uh, and I know why. Bobby, oh, we appreciate it. One of my favorites. One of my favorites, Rick Mahorn. <laughs> All right, Bobby, we appreciate it. Thanks so much, and uh, enjoy the, the sleep that you get during the trade deadline. I, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much. Before we get into explain this to me, what did you think of Bobby Marks? No, he was outstanding. And, and that's what... I mean, it was kind of nice. I mean, I, I expect always to hear something great from Bobby, and but I actually really enjoyed hearing like the personal side of things. Like the King story was great. Um, the deals that he thought he had done were that didn't get done. That's gut wrenching. And I also all those had to do with Brooke Lopez, and and I just wonder what he thinks. And I mean, we didn't really have time to get into you know a full Brook Lopez segment or another one. But what he thinks of every time he watches Brook Lopez hit threes, and and what and, and what and what he's turned into. Um, but but he's uh, he's a wealth of information, and and I, I am interested because it does get to the point like Jeff Van Gundy now has said over the past few years there are jobs that he wanted that he hasn't gotten, and there are jobs that people have wanted him to have that he didn't want. So I'm just just wondering when he gets to that point for Bobby if he if he has that itch and of of ultimately running a team since since he didn't do he didn't have the ultimate say with the Nets. Listen, no, I think you're right on almost everything you just said except for the fact that we always have time for for a Brook Lopez discussion. I think we could have gotten uh, we could have gotten into that. 
But I do think also that you're you're right in what you said during the interview that Bobby Marks, I think his real gift is that he's giving us information while in his brain, he's also thinking about all the things that he can't tell us. And it's probably making yeah, that's him hard laugh to do. and frustrating him at the same time. Yeah, that's that's hard to do. And I and I I wonder what commission he gets of Woj's when he gives <laughs> and he gives information. I do. Oh, I do. I do high. wonder. I do it's wonder. Uh, all right, Noah. Let's uh, let's get into this. Guys, explain this to me. All right, explain this to me, Adam. The Pels shouldn't trade. Anthony Davis before the deadline. Uh, no, I'm I'm of the opposite way of thinking on this. I don't think they should trade Anthony Davis to the Lakers before the deadline. But as you and I have discussed, I think there are plenty of really interesting offers that potential playoff teams could be uh, throwing out there. Now I know obviously the big fish is the Celtics, and they're not going to do a move until until after this this trading deadline it won't be till after the season but i do think there are a lot of teams and and toronto as bobby mentioned is is one of the more enticing ones now whether they'll actually put it out there publicly or we're going to hear about it uh i don't think so but i will say this i think that that whole hey there's four potential destinations anthony davis will play at i think it's one he wants to go to the lakers and i don't think that the pelicans have to uh have to grant his only wish no, but also, you know, at the same time, they if if they don't trade him and then end up trading him to the Lakers in the in the off season, if if they don't end up getting the deal that they want from Boston, then they're likely not going to get the same deal from the Lakers. Um, and then you know they end up then Rich Paul ends up winning and and, and the Lakers end up winning there. I, I don't I don't think they should trade him now because I think other deals will be out there. Um, but I think it would be prudent for the new regime to make that deal. If, if Dell Demps is out at the end of the season, then why would you, and we talked about this with Bobby, why would you allow this regime to make that deal? And if it's not the deal that the, other, that the new regime would want, then you've got more years of just excuses. And, and I think there are just so many layers that the whole, the whole, loyalty, the whole loyalty thing is nonsense. Uh, I think I think players just bring it up when it's convenient. I think that's it's a topic of convenience, and but but it also the whole Anthony Davis is healthy but not playing. That is going to. Uh, I, I I mean David David Stern would have you know he'd be throwing somebody out a window. Uh, oh. I don't I don't I don't know how Adam Adam Silver's. I think he might react similar in a similar respect to it because that will that's going to cross a line that hasn't been crossed before. And and I do think there there are going to be consequences, but but and I know we want to move on in a, in a moment. But what about the locker rooms? Like the Celtics are playing at them with a group that took them to the Eastern Conference Finals, and yeah. so to say so to say that and and you know what they were a Terry Rozier gag job away, which I blame Kyrie Irving for not being on the bench because he had that emergency deviated septum surgery that they're like a you know, Terry Rozier gag job away from being in the NBA finals without Gordon Hayward and without uh, and without Kyrie Irving and you're gonna and, and, and I think the Celtics are right for saying publicly Jason Tatum wouldn't be in, in a deal but and the same thing and the same thing with the Lakers like how, how are you supposed to go out there and play when you know that I know you have to be a professional about it but LeBron doesn't want you there and Kyrie is not committed and, and how you end up with a a fractured locker room. I think the uh, 
I think this whole thing is turning into a mess on a number of levels. I, I will say this. I agree that it is a weird situation in the locker room. On our very first podcast, Noah, I know that we discussed the idea of what the impact on the Celtics locker room was just on the whispers amongst NBA people that, hey, Danny Ainge has been quietly assembling or loudly assembling the pieces to get Anthony Davis. How is that going to impact the team? Well, now that Boston is front and center of, hey, if the Pelicans don't do a deal now, it's going to be made with Boston, theoretically, um, in the offseason. And then you go to the idea that Anthony Davis's dad is now speaking out about the Celtics. I think that it is, it is very difficult to play under those circumstances. It's very difficult for coaches to look players in the eye and tell them, hey, I need you to commit to me when those players don't know if that coach and, and, and that front office is going to commit back to them. So I think it, it sets up a really bad situation. And I will say this. You pointed out the Dell Demps thing, and I think that is the one really strong reason for not trading Anthony Davis now. But I will say this. How cool, if you're a new executive getting to walk into a situation where you're going to have the backing of, of ownership because you're a new executive, and you've got Anthony Davis as a trade piece to, to play with. Like, that's actually a GM's dream that you can now actually sort of carve out your own roster and make your own moves because you've got a superstar you can move right. from day one. Right, and not be blamed for turning down any other deal beforehand Well, because you can just say, well, that wasn't my job. Explain this to me. The impact of John Wall, and, I, and I'm laughing because he slipped and fell and tore his Achilles in his home. Come on. But the impact, the impact of John Wall uh, being out for now 12 months whenever he gets surgery on the rest of the league, given the trade chips now that the Wizards would be willing to get rid of. Well, I mean, the impact is is once again layered, just like it is with with all these teams, as it happens right before the, the trade deadline. I think. What's wild is we should probably be talking about this with Mike Wise of the Wise Ass Podcast because he's like the John Wall whisperer. I know mm -hmm. he's got all the inside scoop on Wall. But the thing with an Achilles injury, and we're seeing it with DeMarcus Cousins, is that I think first take it from John Wall's perspective, the, the impact of an Achilles injury is you never know the type of player you're getting back. We've reached the point now with ACL surgery that we actually can start to predict when they're going to come back and what they'll look like when they come back. The problem with the Achilles is not only are you mentally and physically going to take a long time, I mean, you pointed out it's going to be a full year, but also you get out of shape during that stretch, and it's just different. You could be an entirely different player. Achilles injuries are not that common in the league, and I think to have a guy with his explosiveness uh, and his athleticism, once again, to fall in his kitchen or wherever it happened, I'm it's, it's the not It's the craziest that. thing ever. I, I, I'm not believing like, when was the last time you fell in your home? That's a really good... Oh, right? I, like, I, I don't... I, like, like, I don't know... Uh, yeah, probably back in Topeka after that night you had last... No, the, the no, I, we'd, it would have to be... This, there's, like, a Lego or something lying around. You, we both have young kids, so we right. both have experienced that. Uh, my, my child cleans up after herself. You're raising wolves. Um, I, I don't I don't get the... Like, you slip and fall, tear your Achilles, and you're a world-class athlete. Like, I don't know anyone who's ever, like, fallen that's been more than a bruise. Anyway... Um, let's move on. So explain this to me, Noah. If Mike Conley does move to the Utah Jazz, how does that shake up the Western Conference? 
so I think it finally gives the it gives the Utah Jazz an opportunity to move Donovan Mitchell even more off the ball. I mean, I, I know Ricky Rubio is the point guard, but you have a different type of threat, and you can be a lot more inventive. I think with your offense when Mike Con when when Mike Conley's there than than Ricky Rubio, and you'll you'll end up seeing like like right now. I, I think you'll end up seeing more assisted field goals made for Donovan Mitchell than unassisted that he's not going to be have to try to make things happen all on his own and because right now it's like double the amount of uh, unassisted field goals that he has compared to assisted and I think you'll see a lot more on the on the catch and shoot side as well just free things up and you've got another guy in Mike Conley and, and also a much and also a much better defender because right now where Utah is sitting it's you know it it's, looks very similar to last year with Right now, four through eight being separated by four games. It's not as tight as it was last year, but but it could shape out that way. I could see if Mike Conley ends up in, in Utah, then Utah then is right up there with Oklahoma City. And I'm, I mean, I'm surprised the way Denver's held on, but I'd end up with Utah right up there with Oklahoma City in that third spot. We've sort of been waiting all year to see this Utah Jazz juice that we saw last year during the late stretch of the season and then, and then into the playoffs. And I'm with you. I, I am so excited to see what Donovan Mitchell could do playing alongside Mike Conley and how they both could switch on and off the ball, I think would just add a totally different dimension to that offense. And then now all of a sudden you've got Joe Ingles in the mix with those guys, Rudy Gobert, uh, who who cries apparently uh, more than, than your wife does, I, I would assume. Um, we're, we're not getting into that, right? Like, oh. I, I, think, I, keep, I think that was so... I, th- I thought that was so awful, um, the way that other players mocked him for that. I, honestly, no, no joke. I, I really, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty wild because all those guys have cried. The, I thought it was here's despicable. The, here's here's the thing about it is that it felt like it was so genuine and authentic. Exactly. And it was, and I thought, and those guys can relate to that. And and the thing is, from an outsider's perspective, and I know it sounds really hypocritical because I was just poking fun but I was more poking fun at the idea that people were making fun of him for crying but I think the thing about it that was that was fascinating to me was that here was a guy showing true emotion because it it really meant something to him and why did it mean something to him because he feels like hey you guys always tell me focus on the defensive end that's what every coach has always told him and it'll pay off for you and what does he do focuses so intently on defense and has been outstanding on defense and it doesn't get rewarded and I think it speaks to the work he's put in it speaks to how passionate he is about the game and as players and as certainly commentators and media members like we should care about that too I'm I'm right there with you I had him in my at at Sirius we did top 25 players before the season started and and I got criticized for having Rudy Gobert in my top 25 and also Bradley Beal in my top 25 but not having John Wall in there and not having Donovan Mitchell in there. I thought, I, I honestly, and his comeback to Draymond was great. Like, just like you were crying in the parking lot while texting KD, <laughs> I thought that was, I thought that was out, I thought it was outstanding. Perfect. I think we're about to go off the rails. Let's go off the rails, and uh, it's nothing on the on the personal side with kids or family for me this week, but it's the All Star Draft, and. The amount of drama, Adam, that can be had on Thursday night is something that I I knew that was the possibility of, but every night in the NBA seems to bring something different. So, all right, so from what I understand is LeBron is the first pick because he had the most votes. 
So he's got to pick from the starters. But then Giannis will have the first pick of the reserves, which I which I didn't know. Uh, I, I thought it was LeBron would have first pick in both, but Giannis gets the first pick of the reserves. So with the number one pick, does LeBron now take Kyrie? Does he take KD? Like if LeBron takes Kyrie, then we've got those storylines, which is great. And then Giannis as a reserve, does he pick? He can be a hero. Giannis could be, he's already a hero in Greece. Giannis could be a hero in the United States of America if he picks Anthony Davis first and then doesn't allow LeBron and Anthony Davis to play together. He could be a hero. <laughs> yes, yes. Right? And then, I, and, then you, and then you get, uh, and then I went Embiid against Russell Westbrook. I mean, that's got to be something that's lined up beforehand. Because this whole thing about Giannis, oh, he needs to take Chris Middleton. No, 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 come on. He can take Chris Middleton later. All right? You got to take... If you're Giannis, you have to take AD so that the entire league can cheer for you. I love that. I love that. My my question is how much do these guys consider what the stuff means or how much the rest of us seem to care about this or are looking into it? Well, like, that's why they, they need they need to consult with people about this. It like, needs but to do you think well if I for sure. And and I'm sure that you look, there's a lot of agents playing a role in this. I'm sure there's Management. Look, teams love to control players. We both know this. They want them to work out in their facilities. Uh, they want to see what their diet is. They want in the offseason for them to be checking in at the right times. I mean, the teams care about controlling their players. So I'm sure they want to control that, that PR as well. But I'm just curious, like, as they're sitting there making these decisions, how much of it is is same thing, you and I out in – you know, out in the playground, like picking, looking at the group of kids saying like, oh, of course, I got the big kid. OK, I got to get a shooter. I got to get a guy that's going to be athletic. And how much of it is actually figuring out, OK, I want a team that's going to win. And how much of it is, oh, how much fun is this going to be like in LeBron's mind? If I grab Kyrie, people are going to go crazy. LeBron over that. is absolutely thinking about it. He's, he's pretty calculated. LeBron is absolutely thinking about it, just a matter of how much Giannis is. No doubt LeBron is. Yes. Yes, but the the Giannis thing is fun though. I'm I'm with you. My my wife thinks he's the most charming player in the in the NBA, and I and I tend to agree with it. <laughs> with can, you, can, can you can your two year old pronounce pronounce his name? Uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. Ball handling first, right? We okay. got to work on our own skill sets first. So he's working on some ball handling drills, and and Antetokounmpo will come soon soon thereafter. Nice. Um, how about your four year old? Uh, I mean, Eden loves feta cheese, so I guess she's you know, she's okay. like half she's like half Greek already. She's halfway there. Yeah. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. What do you got? You know, it's it's weird. No, I I sort of uh, the fallout from from my story from from our last podcast has yeah. sort of left me in this in this weird spot where I, I feel like now I got to hold things close to the vest and I don't want to give up any more. Um, oh, wait, so, so then, oh, so then let's just talk about the fallout. What happened? Uh, you know, I just started hearing from people, um, not going to name names that said like, you know, I can't believe that you would reveal that. You never told me that story. Um, I thought you were a better guy than that. In fact, our own producer, Bruce Bernstein, um, you know, he said his whole image of me had changed and Bruce and I have known each other over a decade now. I mean, he was a, a legendary figure at, at ESPN, um, you know, and, and, and thought of me as, as his, uh, you know, as his, his golden boy. And, and that's all changed now, Noah, and it's, it's really a shame. So, 
if you do end up with a new co-host, I wish him well. And um, I'm not going <laughs> to offer up a story this week. I just want to hear yours so we can bring you down to, uh, to my level. I told you, I, I, I texted you after those after that story and if you haven't heard it go back and listen to last week so i don't even care if you listen to the rest of the show just fast forward to the end i've never been honestly i've never been speechless in my entire life ever like i can talk my way out of anything uh or out of most things um but i've never been speechless and and i was uh, i was last week um i'm not some of those stories that i texted you will will not be coming out on the air so let's uh okay let's just wrap this up sounds good sounds good as always noah i appreciate you i appreciate bruce uh, Jeff Torini for yeah, putting this all, uh, all, podcast I tell, I tell together. you every week, it's, it's getting edited out. I don't care. We're going to thank all of them, all the guys at Pure Hoops Media. And, uh, and Noah, most of all, I, I thank you. You're a wonderful uh, co-host. You too, pal. Thanks. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, download, and share with your friends. It's, it's, it's Hoops Talk by two real people. So enjoy it. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.